excusing behavior is often something we do when we're feeling very defensive of ourselves Mm -hmm. and like probably not in the healthiest space. I think taking responsibility for the way that you are in the world and like really being accountable for, for the types of things you're doing and the ways that you may or may, may not be causing harm. Like that's, I think really important. And so I think there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn how to navigate. And mm-hmm. so sometimes people think, okay, I finally found my type. Like I'm done. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie. And for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the show. This is a much anticipated follow-up interview, follow-up episode to our Enneagram 101 episode number 71. But this time we're going deeper into personal growth and better relationships by using an understanding of the Enneagram. And if you don't know what the Enneagram is, I would definitely go listen to episode one and kind of get your crash course. But if you've been around for a minute or if you've been in like the personal development entrepreneurship space for a minute, you probably are familiar with the Enneagram. And if you've been around my corner of the internet, you know I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) You know that I'm a three with a four wing. You know that when I discovered the Enneagram, it was like my whole world and like understanding of myself and other people opened up. And so I knew I needed to bring back Steph Hall of Nine Types Co. to really dig into like the nitty gritty and the more nuanced parts of the Enneagram because it truly is something where you can go infinitely deep, especially as you add more and more people to the equation, right? Like there's, it's one thing to understand yourself and your own Enneagram and your subtypes and your wings, which we will get into more today, but it's another thing too, to then incorporate another human into the equation and talk about the relation and the interplay between each of your types, subtypes, wings, patterns, what you do in times of stress, things like that. And so we go really deep into that. We even kind of address this common like misconception that some types just like aren't compatible or doomed to fail and how we can really use this personality type, which is really, by the way, formed by your core motivations if you're not familiar yet, to deeply understand human dynamics and kind of take ownership of how our own type informs the way that we navigate the world and we navigate how we see other people. If you haven't listened to Steph and I's first episode, again, that's episode 71, and I'll link that in the episode description. But as a quick refresher, Stephanie Baron Hall, who has a master's in organizational communication and leadership, is a speaker, certified Enneagram coach, and author of the book, The Enneagram in Love, A Roadmap for Building and Strengthening Romantic Relationships. Stephanie founded her Instagram page, Nine Types Co. in 2017, and I've been following her for like way, way long as a way to explore her own interest in the Enneagram, and it's since grown into this amazing community of people who are learning about the Enneagram themselves and their relationships together. The community she's built is like so epic, so definitely go follow her and poke around 
because she's also incredible at the strategy and like authenticity behind community, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, She really specializes in bringing clarity to complex concepts and communicating the Enneagram in a way that is relatable and concise so that it can be transformative for all. I think one of the kind of flaws that I see a lot with teaching the Enneagram as someone who's not an expert, not a teacher, sometimes it feels really like conceptual and ambiguous and kind of like academic. And sometimes I struggle to really understand how what I'm learning applies to real life. And I feel like Steph really bridges that gap. So I cannot wait to dig into this episode with you. Let's get into it. Hello, Steph. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy Thanks so you're much here. for having me. Oh my gosh. Just talking over you, just jumping right in. <laughs> but I'm excited I love to be it. back. <laughs> I'm here for it. I also talk over people a lot because I'm just like really excited to like engage in the conversation or I have a thought that I'm like really excited to share. So I feel that. I think that might be part of my ADHD. I don't know about you, but for yep. me, I'm mm-hmm. just like, mm, okay. <laughs> cool. I I can like see myself doing it and I just can't hold back. So there's no judgment here. And we were just talking about how we were trying to remember the last time we podcasted because it's been since like 2019. And if people haven't listened to part one, that's episode 71. I did my homework for this. That's episode 71 from 2019. And that was where we talked about like the basics like Enneagram 101 like what is it what are the types what are your wings like how to know what your Enneagram is so for this episode we're gonna go deeper into kind of the specifics of the Enneagram because it's one of those things where the more you learn about it the more you realize you don't know and it seems like it's infinitely deep I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir on that (laughs) so I'm excited to go deeper and talk more about your book books plural because now you just announced you're writing another one and yeah so let's let's dive in yeah absolutely and I I think it's so funny that very first episode we did was one of my first podcasts that I've ever recorded really that (laughs) is so cool um, yeah and now obviously I've been a guest on I don't know how many I've lost count but I also have my podcast of my own, which is really fun too. So it's definitely something I've fallen in love with in the intervening years. And I really appreciate the opportunity to guest again. Yeah. I'm so glad that that was like a gateway for you because I think having a podcast is like such a cheat code too, because you get to talk to really cool people. And basically it's, it's kind of like, can I pick your brain? Can I, can we go to coffee? But like, the acceptable version where you're not just like mooching off people it's it's mutually beneficial but you're getting to pick the brain of like people that you really want to talk to and maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to otherwise so yeah welcome to podcast life it's it's pretty great love it (laughs) yeah so I know we did already kind of the Enneagram 101 episode but just to catch anyone up to speed maybe they want to go listen to that episode next which I don't really recommend doing it backwards, but you know, I, I like rebels too. So that's cool. Maybe you're an eight. I don't know, (laughs) but can you give us just the briefest crash course on what the Enneagram is? Like, what is it based on? And maybe like a one minute explanation of the types. Sure. So the Enneagram is a personality framework oriented around nine core types. What makes it really different from a lot of other frameworks or systems that you might be familiar with, such as Myers-Briggs or a DISC, is that 
the Enneagram is really about core motivation. So it's about something Mm -hmm. that's hidden beneath the surface. And it's really this driving force that is really beneath everything we do. And a lot of the time people ask, can your type change? And no, it can't. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to understand your type in in a lot of detail, because sometimes when we look back on periods of our life, we can see our type a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And one of the complaints I often hear about the Enneagram is that it's negative. And actually, I find maybe that's something that drew me to it initially anyway, but One of the reasons for that is because it really highlights our blind spots and our weaknesses Mm. and the areas where we need to grow. Of course, Mm -hmm. we can't actually grow unless we see the positives and use our strengths as well. But the point of the Enneagram is really that it kind of gives you a map for how Mm -hmm. to grow, how to move forward in your life, how to understand yourself and observe yourself differently. And then it's really about personal and spiritual development as well as in a sense, you know, having that sense of communal growth and moving forward and a level mm-hmm. of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's Are you ready nine for the types. types. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's, Let's just rapid it. fire. And then of course, if someone doesn't know their type yet, we can tell them where to, where to figure that out. Absolutely. So first we have type one and ones are motivated by this need to be good, right, and correct. It's not so much about being good at things. It's more about being morally and ethically good. So that's their main focus. Mm-hmm. Type two is about they're really motivated by this need to be loved, wanted, and needed. And so often Mm -hmm. they believe they are as lovable or as likable as others find them to be. And so they really pour themselves out in the service of others. And they tend to be very warm and genuine people as well. Type three is motivated by the need to be successful. And that can mean whatever success means in your family of origin, For some people, success means being really awesome at things and not thinking that you're good at anything. Mm. If that's what success means for you, then that's what you strive for. So it's not always Mm -hmm. about being so flashy, but threes are are really motivated by that and also by this concept of image. So having the Mm -hmm. image of success is actually a lot of the time a lot more important than anything else. Type fours are motivated by the need to really know and understand the truest and most authentic version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they don't know themselves well. It's just that they always think that there's more to learn and more to understand. So they're very introspective. Mm -hmm. They're really about plumbing the depths of their psyche and their emotions and that sort of thing. Fives are motivated by the need to be competent and capable and self-sufficient. So Mm -hmm. they really make sure to pay attention to what they kind of need from life and they decrease their what they need so that they can make sure that they're able to meet all of their needs by conserving energy, ensuring that their resources are never depleted, meaning time and energy resources, and mm-hmm. really gathering enough knowledge and information to be able to navigate the world well. Mm-hmm. And we have sixes who are motivated by the need to be safe and secure and to to feel really certain. And unfortunately, the more they learn and the more they try to find certainty, the more they uncover that they don't quite know yet. So certainty is elusive just in general. And I guess if you're paying attention, certainty is elusive. And so they tend to be very vigilant and really Mm -hmm. concerned with like what might happen and and how can they plan for for things that might occur and, and managing planning ahead, things like that. Sevens are motivated by this need to be free to explore the world without limitation. They believe that the world is full of possibilities and they kind of go 
one thing to the next and are really fascinated by all these different things. And I think fascination is a really good word for sevens because Mm. what they're seeking is not so much fun. I think that's kind of a trite understanding of sevens. It's actually about mental stimulation. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of escapism, like there, there needs to be like novelty and like ad- yes. the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then we have eights who are motivated by the need to protect themselves and to avoid being vulnerable or avoid being betrayed or controlled by somebody else. And so one of the ways that they do that is they have this really strong exterior. They have a lot of power and strength and they're very dynamic And they go through the world with kind of this sense of intensity and also being grounded in themselves. They're not Mm -hmm. so worried about what other people might think about them and and are really more concerned with kind of moving forward. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say they don't care about people, but the image that others have of them is not their main focus. And I only say that to differentiate between eight and three, because that's a really common misunderstanding. But if you are kind of even maybe a little bit subconsciously obsessed with how other people see you, you're probably Mm -hmm. not an eight. Mm -hmm. And then we have nines who are motivated by this need to be at peace internally and externally. So they're kind of seeking this sense of balance and equilibrium and wanting to find a little bit of calm. And so Mm -hmm. they just kind of like things to feel like conflict-free, calm, zen, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And they're not really, you know, for example, one of the common mistypes is nine and two. Mm -hmm. Nines typically don't put a lot of expectations on others and they don't expect a lot from others versus twos who tend to actually be pretty okay with others expecting things from them. And they're pretty okay with expecting things from others. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of one of the the key distinctions there. Those Mm -hmm. are all nine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people when they're newer to the Enneagram and they're not, they don't realize that you can't be like multiple types or you can't have like, you can't be, I'm a three, but I'm also a little bit of a seven. Like you can't have a mixture of types and there's a whole like, I don't want to say rules, but it's just like the structure of the Enneagram for people who are hearing you talk and being like, oh, I, I see myself in multiple types or I can see a little of myself in all of them. Like, why does that happen? And how do we get to the root of our types? Because once upon a time, when I first discovered the Enneagram, I swore I was a one, but I'm very much a three. And I thought that I was only a three, but I'm actually a three wing four. So like, I think there's, there's layers of understanding for sure. But what are kind of the, the rules, so to speak? And why do we sometimes have a hard time getting our type right, like at first. Yeah, I I think that at its core, it's because self-understanding, like self-awareness is hard. Like self op- mm. self observation is hard, Truth. right? So, it's it's not that you know there's something wrong with you or whatever. It's like it just takes a lot more time to really observe. Okay, I did all of these behaviors because that's often what we see. And even when we take online tests, which I don't think are bad necessarily, but are not the be all end all of of the mm-hmm. type. But when we take those tests, they're really good at measuring behavior, but they're not so good at understanding what's the underlying force, what's the driving motivation. Mm. And so and the Enneagram is of, all based on motivation. So exactly. Yeah. So you might see your behavior as like, 
oh, I'm doing this thing or that thing. Like I am a perfectionist, so I must be a one. And in reality, there are nine different types of perfectionism. Like anyone can be a perfectionist. So I think really getting to the core of it and having a bit more patience in terms of finding your type and and really understanding it. And I know we're going to talk about this a bit later, but one of the really common reasons for this level of misunderstanding is often subtypes. Mm. So there are certain subtypes that don't kind of seem to fit. So Mm -hmm. there are always those types. And sometimes, you know, when I do a typing interview, I am meeting those people who are like, I Mm -hmm. don't fit anywhere on the Enneagram. And we're able to find kind of where they fit, but it's just not how it's portrayed if you only look on Instagram. And so when a lot of people do that, they kind of miss something there. But if people are like, well, I just want to the quickest, easiest way. So mm-hmm. I have, you know, and I'll, I'll share this with your, your audience so that you can grab the link, but it's, I have a self-typing guide and it walks you through the entire process, like how to find your type and how to kind of look at that, identify that some common misunderstandings and some ways to look a little bit deeper, like reflection mm-hmm. questions, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And also a test that I recommend that is I think it's free or you can, you know, do like, it's like a freemium type of thing. You can do the buy Mm -hmm. option if you want to, but those are some resources that can really help as you navigate your type. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the emphasis on like the self-reflection and the going deeper is so key because I know when I first discovered the Enneagram, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to learn like everything about my type and I need to know my type as soon as possible so that I can learn everything and be the best at the Enneagram, which obviously I wasn't a one. I was a three, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, I need to know my type immediately. And then I started binging like all the things with type one and slowly. And like, I think you can kind of see parts of yourself in every type. So at first I'm like convincing myself that I'm a one so that I can be right. And then slowly I'm like "Mm, yeah this is not me especially because I didn't identify with a nine wing or a two wing I was just like I don't think this is me and then it took a lot of like reflection and self-growth to see myself as a three and then also to see myself having a four wing and then also to figure out what my subtype is like it's layers of like understanding and like layers of unpacking and so I think your emphasis on that and like the curiosity and the patience is something that a lot of people rush through at first, which is fine. Like everyone has their process, but that was my process. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. I would have gotten more out of it if I would have not been so married to like the first type that I thought I was. And something I've learned from you and different books I've read and stuff is like, the healthier you become within your type, the more you will have traits from other types. Like you will have healthy traits from each type. And so it's like, just because you might have behavior similar to a different type doesn't mean that that's your type and that it's like always so much deeper than behavior. Yeah, exactly. And, And we're complex. Like, I think that's the big thing to note is there's no really like perfect fit. I think that's kind of something that a lot of people are looking for. There are always other things happening. Like Mm -hmm. I think at some moments I've been like, oh my gosh, am I a seven? But I'm like, no, I actually like I am a three, but I just have ADHD. So that's just coming out. And then also meeting sevens that are like, 
I don't think I have ADHD, but like what? And and they don't. They just are sevens. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like yeah. some things that show up and other things that don't. So I think that's one of those things where it can kind of cause those those different understandings. And so it's very layered. Cultural yeah. background, that kind of stuff too. Different cultures have different types. And mm-hmm. so seeing those overlays is really, really useful as well. Yeah, there's so much nuance. And your point about like adding neurodivergence to, mm-hmm. to all of it, like definitely has a big impact as well because at some point I was like well can I really be a three if I'm like struggling to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish like if if I was really a three I would just be like full speed ahead all the time getting shit done but mm-hmm. alas I have ADHD so yeah well and it's, it's not very three to think I'm not three enough to be a three <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. So now that I have a better understanding, and I think something that I love so much about the Enneagram that I talked about in part one has always been something that I love is that it gives you kind of this framework for reflection, but it also gives you permission to embrace all of you because the things that you might see as weaknesses are just kind of part of your type and it rounds you out as a three, like for example, I, I can be a little hyper-focused on my goals and I can be a little bit intense and like, that's part of the magic of being a three. And so it helped me like kind of integrate all of these things that I had been judging myself for where it's like, oh, that's just like part of being a three. That's just part of the whole ecosystem within me kind of. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I really love about it. And I would encourage anyone, if you don't know your type to dive in. Yeah. So looking at your kind of most recent area of expertise with your book, which it's called The Enneagram in Love, A Roadmap for Building and Strengthening Romantic Relationships. I want to hear your take on why we do need to take our Enneagram type and our partner's Enneagram type into consideration in how we show up and operate in relationships. Because once my partner actually took his like typing himself seriously it helped so much it helped me so much better understand him because he was like I think I might be a five but I might be a six but I might be a one turns out he's a nine now that now that we know he's a nine I'm like everything makes sense Mm -hmm. and so can you give us kind of an explanation of why it's so helpful and supportive to take the Enneagram into our romantic relationships especially Yeah. I mean, I think it's really all about communication. And I think Mm -hmm. even in my book, a lot of what I wrote about was conflict and communication. Like, how do you navigate Mm -hmm. those things? One of the reasons for the Enneagram is it kind of helps us recognize our own underlying assumptions about the world and about others. Mm -hmm. And when you can identify those for yourself, then you can imagine, okay, this person has some underlying assumptions or underlying motivations that are happening And let me get curious about those things. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's a three and a nine, for example, it might be like, well, he just doesn't care about me because Mm. he's not doing the things that I said are important that I need to do. And then Mm -hmm. understanding, okay, it's a three and a nine. So the three is thinking, these are the things that I think are important and showing up in the relationship and caring is like doing these things. And the Mm -hmm. nine is like, well, I never agreed to any of that basically. And I have a different set of understandings and like what's important. And so wanting to really identify those and kind of navigate that and being able to 
discuss those things and like make those underlying assumptions really apparent and and bring them Mm -hmm. to the surface can help to just discuss them and say, okay, like what are the things that like the unspoken expectations you're bringing into this relationship that make Mm -hmm. this conflict so much more loaded? Because if the nine doesn't put the dishes away at the end of the day, the three might take that as like, wow, you really don't give a shit about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the nine is, might have something totally different happening and, and really Mm -hmm. caring for the relationship looks totally different. And so, you know, of course that's not specifically about your relationship, but it's, it is kind of breaking down those, those understandings and assumptions that we have. And I think Mm -hmm. anytime you look at a tight pairing, you can really get a little bit more insight on what's happening behind the scenes for your partner Mm -hmm. and can have a lot more empathy and compassion for the way that they are seeing the world and things that are hard for them and meeting them in that space instead of just expecting them to see things how you see them because that Mm -hmm. never turns out well. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that it brings like communication to a much deeper level because I think the we always hear like communication is key right like everyone's always harping on how communication is so important for relationships but it can't be just like any communication and when you have different types like you are expressing yourself and coming from like different angles and so communicating only in the way that your type communicates isn't fully effective like it might get you somewhere but it's not really coming to a mutual understanding. So when we're looking into our partner having a different type, what are some of the things that we should be like really focused on? So let's say I just found out Andrew is a nine. What are the things that like I should make a point to learn about a nine to then bring into my relationship? Because there's, you can go again, infinitely deep. Like what are the high level things that will impact our relationship the most? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the key things for nines is a lot of us, we get loud and we yell about stuff and and we get really passionate about things that are probably inconsequential in in the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of things that we don't care that much about. And so nines tend not to do that as much and they tend to really communicate pretty evenly overall. Mm -hmm. And so what'll happen is they'll say something just in an even tone of voice but it has taken everything in them to actually speak that Mm -hmm. out. And then the other person might think, oh, okay, well, that's fine. And then move on and and like not really heed what the nine is saying. And I think that's one of the ways that nines can end up feeling overlooked. And Mm. so kind of like going beneath the surface and saying, hey, like what are those things that you really need me to hear? Like is there emotion or like a word that you could use to say like, Hey, like I, I really need you to hear me on, on this thing mm-hmm. because nines end up feeling overlooked a lot of the time. And I think that's really important. And so what's happening in that dynamic that can kind of be universalized to all of the type pairings, cause there are 43 or 45 sorry, yeah. different type pairings is really looking at like, how do I communicate? How would I describe my communication style? How does this person communicate? How would they describe their communication style? And again, like it's really about delving into what's happening beneath the surface and trying to recognize and understand things. So if you care about something a lot and they don't care a lot, then going with what, you know, one partner wants versus the opposite. So those Mm -hmm. sorts of things can, can really help. But again, I think it's just really about making what is unspoken spoken. Mm -hmm. 
And so the Enneagram can really help us do that. I wouldn't say there's like universally like specific things. It's more so getting really curious and asking your partner what matters Mm -hmm. most to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you said about communicating in a different way and maybe expressing different levels of like importance. I actually learned this, I guess, or method or framework on TikTok. TikTok has taught me so many things. So many things. So many random useless things, but also so many actually really helpful things. And it is that when you are asking your partner for something or you're expressing some request or a feeling is asking your partner like on a scale of one to 10, how important is this to you? Oh my gosh. Was this Melissa Urban? It might've been. I don't know. It might've been, but it was like a few months ago. It was like on a scale of one to 10, how important is this to you? Because I could say, Hey, can you come to the barn and watch my lesson today? And sometimes like him coming to support me might feel so, so important. Other times that would be like, if you can come cool, if you can't, whatever. But especially with my nine fiance, who's just a little more even, right? Like he he won't make loud requests very often, but I will ask him like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how important is this to you? And that helps me actually gauge like, where mm-hmm. are we? And like, if I say no, is that like a grave offense <laughs> to like right. our connection or is it not? And I love that skill or I love that cue or that exercise. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's something that any type combination could implement because we are speaking like different languages a little bit. And it it just gives you that quick read of like, okay, where are we, where are we actually at? Like, how should I be interpreting this statement or this request? Yeah, absolutely. I I would agree with that. And it's funny that you brought that up because I almost mentioned that example. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Because from Melissa Urban's book, The Book of Boundaries, because I think it's just such a great way of looking at it. And I think one of the things that can happen with Enneagram study and being really curious and being really interested with specific types in particular, but I mean, this can happen with any, anyone is like really taking over too much responsibility for your partner's anything. Like it could be their mm. emotional state or their response to conflict or their growth or, or whatever is happening. And so that's another thing with the Enneagram that I think is useful is to first kind of like look at yourself and, mm-hmm. and to have up those personal boundaries over like, actually, even though I could be really loving and like, I want to meet them where they're at. Some of that is like not mine to deal with. Some of that is mm-hmm. not mine to meet them in being okay with with some of that and, and really paying attention to how are your types characteristics playing out in your own way of communicating way of responding to things and where is reactivity coming in, in a way that's really unhelpful and kind of working on that. So kind of like looking at, okay, where do I need to, to communicate better or differently Mm -hmm. or function better with my own emotional state? Okay. Hold on. I needed to interrupt this episode quickly because I've realized that it doesn't matter how hard you work or even how quote unquote productive you are, how many hours you put in, if you are going hard in the wrong direction, which is why it is so important to be clear 
and confident about your goals. And that's the exact reason why I've incorporated goal setting into all of my coaching programs. Because if my clients are not clear on their goals, if they don't know where we're going and why we're going there, it doesn't matter what strategies we pull out. It doesn't matter how much planning we do. We have to get clear on what the destination is first. And so I swear by this goal setting visualization, and it is something that previously was only available to my clients. It's a visualization that I lead and I walk you through. And now I've made it available for free for everyone. I swear by it. Even if you're not a visualization girly, I have just converted so many people into loving a good visualization with this exact exercise. So I'm going to leave a link to it in the episode description, or you can head immediately to mariewold.goals. That's M-A-R-I-E-W-O-L-D.com slash goals. Again, it is totally free. It will take you 25 minutes and I've hooked you up with a bonus workbook just to help you reflect and process and really start implementing on all the breakthroughs that you have. So enjoy. Let me know how it goes because I know it's going to be a game changer for you. And let's get back to the episode. Yeah, learning about where my type goes under stress was really big in in my relationship because I started seeing these patterns like, oh, if we're having a disagreement or if we're arguing or like if something isn't going right I'm going to that place and that's not productive and that's not well received and so just having that understanding of where am I going what are my responses to stress how is that interplaying with my partner how is he perceiving that gave me so much clarity and obviously not perfect by any means but I think our disagreements have gotten so much more productive (laughs) than they Mm -hmm. used to be because of that awareness from both sides. Now I've kind of like just by force taught Andrew a lot about the Enneagram just because I've been (laughs) into it for several years now. And so he has no choice but to absorb like some of it. But Yeah. yeah, so, so helpful. On that note, I think another tool that's helpful to bring in is Brene Brown's The Story I'm Telling Myself Is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't know what stories... (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't know what stories you're telling yourself, then it can be really helpful to look at the Enneagram and look at your type and say, okay, the story that my type often tells themselves is this. Is that what's coming up here? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time you'll see some alignment and that can be really helpful to identify. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something we've also brought in from therapy is parts work. So expressing as like a part of me is feeling this way or a part of me really wants to say this but I know that that's not actually true or just acknowledging that like I can be feeling or wanting to act on something and that's not my full truth but like a part of me is in this really unhealthy space or this really reactive space or whatever it might be and it's very helpful and also very validating to have language for that and I think that that's another reason that the Enneagram is really like supportive is it gives you language for why you might react certain ways or how certain things make you feel and allows you to express that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So something that I think is really interesting about your book is that you have a strong emphasis that like there is no like best combination or worst combination like no combination is just like doomed to fail like I, I'm thinking back to the days where we had like 
teen magazines and it would be like Aquarius never works with Scorpio or like whatever yeah. I'm I just pulled that out of thin air but like thinking back to like astrology where it's like these signs are most compatible these signs toxic right whereas you're like really a big believer that all types can have like a healthy good relationship if you know how to navigate it so can you kind of demystify that like why why are there not combinations that are doomed to fail because for example I feel like three and nine is quite different (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we actually work really well because we balance each other so yeah just give us your thought process for that because I would have if I was nearer to the Enneagram I would have assumed like some types just would not work well yeah well and I think it's fair to say that some types might not just work well for you right so Mm. that can be a very individual process to say I actually, it drives me up the wall when somebody says this, that, or the other. And okay, well, that means I'm not going to be with this type of person. For example, Mm. some people can't stand somebody who's very black and white. Other Mm -hmm. people can't stand somebody who's like a little bit more free spirited. So Mm -hmm. that would be, you know, one perspective, but that doesn't mean that those types can never work. And a lot of the time we see that opposites attract, even with the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. right? And also, you know, with teen magazines, (laughs) which is where a lot of those things are, but actually it's all over the internet. It's like these types never work. They're never compatible. And it's like, what if Mm -hmm. you've been married to somebody of that type for (laughs) decades and it does work? Like, does that mean that you're now totally doomed or that there's somebody more compatible out there and you need to go find them? Uh, Like, I just don't think that that's really useful. I don't understand the utility of of that type of argument, Mm -hmm. but I think that what is helpful to notice is like, what does and doesn't work for you? And and I put a lot more emphasis on kind, open, honest communication mm-hmm. wherever you can. Like, is that person kind to you? Do they respect you as a human being? Those questions mm-hmm. are a lot more important. And sometimes what I think we're actually doing when we're looking for perfect compatibility is outsourcing some of the hard work of recognizing, do I actually like this person or not? Mm-hmm. Um, mm, interesting. And when you outsource that, then it makes it much simpler to identify, yeah. oh, I just don't get along with this type rather than saying, you know what, something about this person, like we just don't really work that well together. And that's actually okay. And I can say, you know what, it's not going to work and move on. Yeah. So it can be, you know, it can sometimes feel easier to, to apply a structure to it, even if it's a little bit manufactured. Yeah, that actually, like, that relates a lot to this astrology meme that has always just made me crack up. And it's like, I think it originated in a tweet. And this girl said, I hate when people use their zodiac to justify a shitty behavior. Like, sorry, I can't help it. I'm a Scorpio. No, Karen, you're just a bitch. Like, I thought that was so funny the first time I saw it. Of like, no, you're actually just a bitch. You're not a Scorpio. You're just a bitch. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes we can hide behind our Enneagram like in a similar way where it's like no I'm not being cutthroat I'm just a three is like something that I could say or like I'm not taking it too far I'm just a three and I think that could go for relationships too of like oh I could never be with a nine they're too chill for me right like Mm -hmm. that would be something that I could easily hide behind and say but when I actually went to therapy did self-reflection like looked at my relationship I saw all these ways that like being with a nine is actually makes so much sense for me and makes me a better, more grounded, balanced, present person. Like now I'm like, if I was with a three or if I was with an eight and I have so many threes and eights as like friends, but if I 
was romantically marrying a three or an eight, I think I would go insane. Like if I (laughs) was with someone who is so much like me, I don't know how healthy that would be, at least up front. I'm I'm sure Mm -hmm. with reflection and therapy and work, it would be fine. It could work. But but you're appreciating what you have in your current partnership and in a different you know, type of dynamic that you have in being opposite in some senses. And mm-hmm. I think what that, that mean that you're referring to, I see that a lot. And I think it's really unfortunate because I think what we should be thinking is like, oh, I am a Scorpio or I am a this type. And so I actually have like this predisposition to probably mm-hmm. do this type of shitty behavior. So mm-hmm. rather than just doing the shitty behavior and then excusing myself then, for it. Yeah. Justify it. Right. Then I can actually say, oh, I know that that's something that I need to work on and, and mm-hmm. really using it as a tool to understand it and kind of highlight, like, here are some of those blind spots or weaknesses that if you're just living your life on autopilot, you're not really paying much attention. These things are, are going to show up and they're not going to be pretty. And mm-hmm. I cannot stand when people are like, well, I'm just this type. So yeah, I expect the world and I expect you to give it all to me tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, that's no, that's not how we're supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Where it's like, this is my experience and this is my perception of the world based on my type. And like everyone else needs to fit into it versus the point is like acknowledging that there's eight other types that you are not and everyone's having a different experience Mm -hmm. and we're all bringing different motivations and stresses and all that to a shared experience like that's the point the point is not Mm -hmm. I'm a three and screw everyone else but this is my take yeah yeah exactly and I think excusing behavior is often something we do when we're feeling very defensive of ourselves Mm -hmm. and like probably not in the healthiest space. I think taking responsibility for the way that you are in the world and like really being accountable for for the types of things you're doing and the ways that you may or may not be causing harm, like that's, I think, really important. And so I think there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn how to navigate. And mm-hmm. so sometimes people think, okay, I finally found my type, like I'm done. And actually that's just yeah. when it's beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's the prerequisite to like do all the other learning and I think my experience has been I have to balance that because like I'm I'm very like I think maybe this is a three thing where I'm like okay how do I become the best three if I'm going to be a three how do I become the best version of a three possible right like how do I bring all the strengths forward how do I like fix all the weaknesses And I have for it to be like productive and healthy for me to like do that work. I have to like acknowledge all the good parts of my type and all the shadow sides, I guess, of my type. And there has to be like a balance. Like I can't be so accountable to all the bad things, quote unquote bad. I I don't know that that's productive language, but like the more unhealthy parts of my type, I can't just focus on those. And I also can't just focus on the healthy things that are happening it has to be both otherwise it becomes like that negativity that you're talking about before like the Enneagram is so negative because it's very easy to just focus on here are all the things that I need to fix about myself and it like has to be both so do you have any advice for I guess approaching this work from like a balanced perspective or like a healthy way where we're able to acknowledge both sides and still 
make progress. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really useful to look at the underlying assumption. So like, mm. for example, for, for threes, it's like the underlying assumption can be, I am only as worthy or valuable as others perceive me to be. So, but what's actually true when you look at it is like, you're a human being with value and worth regardless of what you do. And so just being is worthy mm-hmm. and valuable. Like you don't get to be extra human because they're doing extra mm-hmm. things. It's like mm-hmm. you're still the same same worth and value regardless. And so I think looking at some of those things that that might be occurring beneath the surface. And for twos, threes, and fours, a lot of that is about worth and, and recognizing the sense of identity and, and sense of, of worth that is intrinsic versus trying to earn it through all of these other metrics and 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 ways that we do that. So I think that's kind of one of the ways to to do that and having a lot of self-compassion for ourselves. And mm. what I think is important is a lot of the time people say things like, "Oh, well if I'm self-compassionate, I'll just go easy on myself and I like won't actually apply mm-hmm. myself to anything." But actually self-compassion is more about being able to be kind to yourself and accepting mm-hmm. of all the things, the good and the bad, and and, mm-hmm. and being less defensive. Because if you know that you are going to beat yourself up about something, you're going to start out being defensive, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, you posted know a that- quote on your Instagram that was like, if being hard on yourself was going to work, it would have by now. I think that yeah. was a while ago, but I loved that. And mm-hmm. just anyway, interjecting because that's so relevant to what you're saying. Yeah, that my friend Jackie Acree, she always says that. She's EFT practitioner, so which is really mm, cool. But yeah. Right. So when we look at things with more self-compassion, we can actually say, okay, maybe I'm not working toward this goal because I hate myself, but because I love myself and I care for mm-hmm. myself. And I I it's something that is worth doing and it's valuable to me. And shifting that perspective can be really valuable so that whether that goal is something external or it's just simply like, I really want to understand myself or I want to observe myself more. I just think, you know, I'm not a therapist, but I read a ton about, you know, the brain and and how the brain works and how the brain body connection, like all those sorts of things. And I just think that we are not in a calm, grounded state of mind when we are going into things with a lot of pressure or a lot of defensiveness. Mm -hmm. And so if we can be more self-compassionate, we can actually think a lot clearer because we're not Mm -hmm. putting ourselves into that like fight, flight, freeze, fawn state all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, and I love that you brought up therapy because I wanted to ask you about a post you made a while back where you were basically mm-hmm. giving the do's and don'ts of like how to bring your Enneagram into therapy in like a productive way. So can you give us just like high level, maybe some do's and don'ts? Because I find that oftentimes Enneagram people are also therapy people. Like there, there's a lot of overlap in those populations yeah. and yeah. podcast people are also often therapy people. So yeah, would love a lot of self curiosity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's useful, you know, if, if your therapist doesn't know the Enneagram and they're interested, they want to, if you mention it, you know, you can send them some information that you, you find online, but I've had therapists who aren't into it, aren't interested. And in that scenario, what I like to do is I think about 
the insights that I've gained from understanding myself through the Enneagram. And I just take mm-hmm. all the Enneagram language out of it. I don't say because I'm a three, it's blah, blah, blah. I say, you know, I've really noticed that I care a lot mm-hmm. about what other people think about me and I would like to change them. And it, it makes me sad that I feel like I don't have a really strong sense of self. And I'd really like to work on my sense of identity. Those are type three issues that you bring into therapy and you could really do a lot of good work on them, even if you're not using the same exact language. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, what you see with like working on things from an Enneagram perspective versus working on things from a therapy perspective is that there's a lot of alignment without using the exact type language. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the practices might be similar, but you know, you're just not using that specific Enneagram language. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the main things. I would also say that, you know, maybe not saying everything that you know about the Enneagram or like saying that they have to get into the Enneagram because genuinely some therapists just don't like it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Yeah. But again, like bringing up, okay, like this is my perspective or this is an awareness that I have about myself and being open to something that your therapist might be able to recognize or identify about you, even if Mm -hmm. it doesn't line up with your type, being open Mm -hmm. to that observation because I think that's something I see a lot too, where it's like, well, you know, fives don't struggle with using other people. So I can't possibly be doing that. Um, Mm. When in reality, maybe it doesn't have to do with your type, but maybe you are kind of doing that behavior and that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think those are a few of the main things, but yeah, I I always like when people are like, well, my therapist says do this and you know, the Enneagram says this, I'm like, please work with your mental health professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Therapists aren't always right. They're human. Right. But like, I think that it's, it's really helpful to kind of go into it with that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. and if you are one of the types who's like, I want to win at therapy, maybe notice yeah. that. And maybe even <laughs> I was going to bring that up and be like, yeah, yeah. I, I needed to like bring my knowledge of being a three to therapy. Cause I was trying to like win therapy mm-hmm. and like, how do I say this in the right way? where my therapist approves of my decision, like things like that. Like it's just Mm -hmm. so helpful to be aware of that. Yeah. So things like that or things like I'm trying to outsmart the therapist by understanding the model or I am trying Mm. to distract the therapist by using humor. Like if you can voice those things, sometimes that can really diffuse it and it can bring both of your attention to it so that you can kind of know and be able to highlight like when you're doing that. That's so true funniest thing is like the first time I ever went to therapy at the end of my session I was like okay so what's my homework (laughs) and that's like the most three thing ever and my therapist would cry and I was like no no that cannot be it like that cannot be my (laughs) yeah she's like I'm not giving you anything to do but I want you to explore allowing yourself to cry next time something is upsetting and I was like can mm, I, okay. And then I was like, I, I mean, I can't not do my homework, but like, how am I going to make myself cry? And mm-hmm. yeah, that was just, that was such a three thing to do of like, how do I, what's my homework and how do I get an A plus at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I want to talk about subtypes because you just announced recently that you are working on a new book right now and it's all focused on the different subtypes and you're making it very like you're engaging your audience and bringing in different stories and like real world scenarios and things like that so what is it about subtypes that like warrants a whole book what are they and like why is it so important to understand yeah so 
my book will be focused on the subtypes, but also just in general, like how do we actually apply the Enneagram? Like Mm-hmm. it's kind of answering that question. So what, which is a really important question to me. Like if somebody gives me a ton of information then I'm like, okay, cool. So what, like, what do I actually yeah. do with this? And yeah. so it's really helping to walk people through that process of, of how do they actually a- apply it? And so one of the most important things I think with that is subtypes and mm-hmm. subtypes are the combination of two theories. So one theory is the Enneagram. We've got our nine types. The other theory is sometimes called instinctual variants or the instincts in essence, these are survival instincts. So they are really at the most basic level. They are things that we all do in order to survive. But for each of us, Mm -hmm. there's one that's really running the show. And Mm -hmm. it's like an untamed lion that is like running your entire life. And when you're unaware Mm -hmm. of that, it can like really make you do a lot of things that seem to be the right thing to do, but actually might be a little bit counterproductive. So these instincts are sexual or self-preservation. So the concept is I'm responsible for my own survival. Survival. A lot of the time people who are dominant in self-preservation instinct are focused on health, security, wellness, those sorts of like self-preservation tactics. Mm -hmm. Social, which is if the herd survives, I survive. And they often are focused on what the group needs and wants belonging. They are very aware of power structures and those sorts of dynamics and, and who, you know, kind of can climb the ladder and who, who's important and all that sort of stuff and, and kind of sticking together with the group. And then mm-hmm. sexual, which is when I'm teaching corporate, I actually sometimes call it spark to keep the alliteration, <laughs> self-preservation, social spark. But it's it's deeper than than, you know, just in a romantic sense. It's really about mm-hmm looking for that sense of intensity, spark. Sometimes it's, it is about one specific other person, but I think people who are dominant in the sexual instinct have a lot more of like this sense of attraction and repulsion with other people. And they're really seeking a sense of chemistry and that's kind of what's most mm. important for them. And so they can sometimes be like more open to risk, things like mm. that, because they're not, whereas like the self-preservation on the opposite spectrum would be pretty risk yeah. averse, right? So They can kind of be opposite in that sense. And so when we take each of these instincts, which, by the way, don't just listen to that and decide which instinct you are and and then try to combine it with your type. What we're actually looking for is we're taking each of these three instincts with each of the nine types and we have 27 distinct subtypes. So to understand your subtype, it's really useful to look at the descriptions of the subtypes, which I do have a download for that, and to identify not which resonates the most per se, but which do you actually act out the most? Um, so mm-hmm. if you have your core type correct, then you want to look at what you ha- act out the most. Mm-hmm. Before people look at subtypes, a lot of people are mistyped because mm-hmm. they are looking at yeah. some of the external characteristics, but they're not really understanding the way that the personality structure is actually operating beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So for example, somebody who's a self-preservation one would be or self-preservation three would be really likely to mistype as a one mm-hmm. because of some of those dynamics. So those are subtypes. They're just really useful. They're like another layer. If you're into the Enneagram, you, you love it. Or if you have read all the types and you can't figure out your type, looking at the subtypes will be really helpful to kind of take it to that next step and understand what exactly you need to do. Because for a self-preservation six, I'm going to have a very different suggestion on how to grow and how to move forward than I would for a sexual six because they can mm. just be so different and, and same for a social six. Mm. So it gives you a really defined growth path for each type. Yeah. So then 
just as like a high level recap or just to put all the pieces together, we have our core type, which is one through nine. We also have the three different subtypes that can apply to every type. And then we also have wings. You can have, Mm -hmm. I guess, three wings. Technically, you have one on each side and then you're just being a true type whatever, right? So there's like so many different configurations. And would you recommend that someone goes, they figure out their main type, should they figure out their wing or their subtype after that? And how are those interplaying? Yeah. So I would recommend figuring out the subtype next. Okay. The way that I look at wings is, and this has probably changed since the last time I was on, but is that they're growth stretches. So you know, if you are a one with a two wing, that just tells me that you've really learned how to kind of exercise that two growth stretch. Like you've you've mm-hmm. developed a lot of those characteristics and actually maybe an, an easier growth stretch for you could be going to nine and kind of reaching mm-hmm. in and like thinking, how would a nine approach this and, and approaching it that way? So that that could be a growth stretch. But I think the most important next step is is looking at the subtypes. So okay. core type and then subtypes. For some people, like I said, subtype has to come first because mm-hmm. you literally don't even know what your core type is. Yeah, um, like ma- makes the main type make sense for you. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I do typing interviews, I have people come in who say, I am, I know I'm this type, but I can't figure out the subtype. And then mm-hmm. we look at it together and and I go through the entire interview. And at the end, I'm like, I actually think you are this subtype, totally different Mm, core type. It happens all the time. And the reason for that is because of the level of specificity and the way that the subtype or the way that the dominant instinct and the core type are kind of interacting. And this is something that I have taught in workshops before, and it's 18 hours total. So it's just really deep. There's a lot more to it. So You would tell me if if you didn't think I was actually a three, right? Well, I mean, (laughs) there's no way for me to really know over this brief conversation, though I will say that, you know, it sounds like you really strongly identify with type three and it sounds like it's possible that you could be the self-preservation three, though it it might take a little bit more exploration for you only because that is the type three subtype that is most likely to mistype as type one. Mm hmm. Yeah. For my subtype, I immediately knew I was a three, but there was a lot of stuff that didn't fit. And I was like, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just like a really sad three. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, you know, oh my um, God. and, and I am the sexual three subtype. And so I can see both the way the instinct plays out, but I can also see the subtype dynamic more specifically yeah. play out in my life. So, yeah. 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 Of course you wouldn't be able to tell me like actually that I'm not a three but I think that if I did an interview with you and then at the end you're like actually you're a seven I think I would have like an identity crisis after that like yeah, I, well, I feel attached <laughs> yeah true yeah. true yeah. okay amazing so main type subtype which your subtype might help you confirm your main type and then it's a wing can we just quickly this is like one of my pet peeves where I'm like, you're doing the Enneagram wrong is when people are like, I'm a type seven with a three wing or like Mm -hmm. I'm a type seven with a five wing. Can you just briefly clear that up of why your wing has to be adjacent to your type? Like if you're a seven, your wing can only be a six or an eight. Yeah. Like people hate this answer, but that's just how it works. 
The Enneagram is a structure inherent and there's a lot more structure and symbolism behind everything than Mm -hmm. what you see on the surface. But the structure of the Enneagram is that the wings are the adjacent types. Mm -hmm. That's the way that it is. There's a thing called tri-types that... Yeah. There's a thing called tri-types that that a lot of people are interested in where basically you have a type in each of the intelligence centers going mm-hmm. way more down the rabbit trail here. But the reason that I don't really ascribe to that or, or, or teach that is because we don't have that much time in life. Mm-hmm. And this is something mm-hmm. that I heard one of my teachers, Uranio Pies, say recently. And he's like, we don't have time to, mm-hmm. to work on three different passions or three different mm-hmm. fixations. We only have time to do one in life. Yeah. And so kind of narrowing it down to like, what is the the core focus of that inner work that you need to do? Because it just, it takes longer than we expect and yeah. that's okay. But yeah. Okay. Amazing. That's like, I think something that just learning the rules helps you better operate within kind of the the system because I think a lot of people like will take a test for example and they're like well my first thing is I ranked a one and then my second highest was a four so I must be a one wing four and that's just like not how it works (laughs) yeah well right and then what that tells me as somebody who's looking at subtypes is like okay well maybe you're a self-preservation four or if Mm. it's somebody who says I'm a seven wing three I'm like okay maybe you're a self-preservation seven um Mm. so there are other dynamics and other mistypes and things like that that I think about when I hear that but of course you know I don't always have time to explain nor do I want to I'm like oh good for you have a yeah, nice coffee. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I stopped trying to be like, well, actually you have mm-hmm. to be blah, 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 blah. Cause I used to try to like educate people, which probably didn't always come across super helpful, but I used to be like, well, you, your wing has to be blah, blah, blah. And I just started being like, oh, amazing. What's it like? <laughs> what, mm-hmm. What's it like being a, being a five, whatever it is. Yeah. Because it's just, we're all on our own journey of awareness yeah. and Yeah. So where do we go from here? Now you have your second book in the works. Do you know when that's being published? I know you're still earlier on and there's like a lot that goes into writing a book. I think maybe Mm -hmm. I'll do it someday, but it seems like it's a lot and it takes a while. So what's happening with the book? What's happening with the podcast? What what's like on the path ahead for you? Yeah. So the book is, yes, very much in the works. It is being published through Harper One. And fun little tidbit for you is that there's actually going to be a second book. So that um, I will start working on immediately after I turn in this manuscript. So that'll be really fun. And you can hear about all of that and keep up with everything. Or if you're like fascinated by the Enneagram, you want to do a deep dive, go on my Instagram, which is nine types co. And you can sign up for my course, which is called Enneagram IRL, and it goes through the Enneagram in detail. You can get all nine types or just yours, but yeah, it's EnneagramIRL.com for that. And then also I have a podcast, like you mentioned, called Enneagram in Real Life or Enneagram IRL, and I interview people of all different types about what it's like to be them and, and in their walks of life and all those sorts of things. So it's just a really fun way to chat with people and to hear about what it's the lived experience of the types themselves. Mm -hmm. So I'd say those are the next steps. And when the book is ready, which I have no (laughs) idea when exactly it it will be published, but you'll be able to hear it on all those channels. Amazing. I think I'm really curious to, to know how people approach 
listening to your podcast, like, because you are focusing on the lived experiences based on people's types, like, do you think that someone would, like, always listen to their types interviews and, like, less frequently listen to other types? Or do you think that most people listen to, like, every every type to equal amounts? I mean, in terms of the stats, it looks pretty even. And when I listen to Enneagram podcasts, I normally listen to all of them, regardless of mm-hmm. the type. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if some people jump around or are just like, oh, I'm just going to go listen to this one because it's a this type, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I immediately was just like, that's just me being nosy and curious. I don't know how we apply this information, but I was like, <laughs> if I, would I listen to like all the threes first or would I just go in chronological? Like how, how am I going to listen <laughs> to the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, there are a few amazing in last season. So yeah, and I love that your work has such an emphasis on application because I think it's so easy to just intellectualize everything to death and like not actually look at how it is applying to real life. So love yeah. that everyone go give Steph so much love. Follow her on Instagram. Subscribe to her podcast. Get on her email list to know when your book's coming out. And you already have your book. I just blanked on the name. Sorry. One second. Um, The Enneagram. Yeah. And you have your first book, The Enneagram in Love. I'm assuming, I know it's like on Amazon. I'm assuming it's available where all books are sold. Is there an audio version of of that book? Yep. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Did you record the audio? I did not read it, sadly. I think that seems like a big undertaking. So there's no, there's no judgment (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) Hopefully I'll read the next one. Yeah. Amazing. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much, Steph. This was yet another awesome interview with you and I'm excited to go deeper into my subtype now. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. 